This week on the Off the Crossbar podcast, the Toronto Rock continue to find ways to win. The musical chairs out west never ceases to amaze. The Halifax Thunderbirds and New York Riptides announced their names, so we'll talk a little alignment. And this week we hear from Ty Merrill, Marty O'Neill, and Smoke and Pat. All that and more on OTCB. Happy Tuesday, lacrosse fans. How is your day going? Wonderful. My name is Teddy Jenner. Thanks for stopping by and taking some time out of your busy day to listen to me ramble and wax poetic about all things lacrosse, especially week 10 of the National Lacrosse League. If you want to get a hold of me here at the show, super simple. You can find me on Twitter at Off the Crossbar. There's an E on the end of cross. It is a lacrosse show. That is a really bad lacrosse pun. You can also email me, teddy.jenner at gmail.com. Another week of great conversations with people about um, alignment, where the next few teams are going to be, and a whole slew of other topics that we can get into, we can't get into, um, just because of time restraints and content. Uh, But we'll try and get some of those ideas in with our guests this week. As mentioned, Ty Merrow, beat reporter, all-round good guy, game previews, recaps, highlight room for the Georgia Swarm. We'll stop by. He's been in Georgia for 20-plus years, so um, he's a big fan of the Georgia Swarm. Uh, We'll also talk to Marty O'Neill, one of the best goaltenders of of all time. We'll talk goaltenders. Seems kind of logical. And the guy who is really bad at Tim Horton's roll-up-the-rim to win, we'll stop by. That's Pat Gregoire. Probably could have figured that out as he was our third guest. But uh, we'll give Pat some time to talk about the Toronto Rock. We'll talk uh, Defensive Player of the Year. And we'll talk some alignment, logos, and things like that with Pat as well. However, until then, let's have a quick look back at Week 10 of the National Lacrosse League. Six games on the schedule starting Friday in Toronto where the top team in the East took on the top team in the West. And once again, the Toronto Rock came away with another one-goal victory. On Sunday, New England exacted their revenge on Philadelphia, putting a whooping on the wings by six goals, 17-11. And in and amongst that, we had a ton of other great lacrosse games and great goals. And this is how it sounded. Block, great pickup by Hostrosser. He's on the right. Got Rogers, great feed, what a finish, another short hit and goal by the Rock, and that is a gorgeous play. There's a goal for Stocks, and it's good. And he scores a lot, he does it beautifully, and not many people enjoy it more than Austin Stocks. Dawson thought about it, now they will go, and it's a good decision. Casey Jackson, great shot to just skip that one off the floor. That's his first four goal game of his career. Cuts to that, shoots. Saved by Rose. Nick Rose, the hero. It's a 12-11, a thriller of a win for the Toronto Rock. Lock and Crawford out there. Back to LeBlanc. Shot he scores. Stephen LeBlanc with his 10th goal of the season. So is Vaughn Harris. Shot and a goal up top. He surprised him. Kevin Crowley. Season five three wings. Now there is down swerving, looking for the shot, and he scores. 
Downs is second of the night. The rookie has eight on the season, 10-8 the score. Get him on the line, come the men. Steve Prioldo to Dane Smith. Smith to Prioldo. Over the shoulder, scores! Oh, oh, oh. oh, put that one on the ESPN highlights, Johnny. There's a shot straight on, score! Calgary, Reese Dutch finding Twine with a low laser. There's a low drive by Durston, he scores! Straight ahead for Jordan Durston. And the score tied at nine. Quick stick, couldn't do it. Here comes the Buffalo again with an opportunity. Score! Oh, it's a game of inches, isn't it, Johnny? Gets inside. Eli scores! Power play goal retired at six. His second of the night. Zed Williams driving, spinning, diving, scoring. What a goal by Zed Williams, his second. It's back to a one-goal game. Empty net, Capito scores! 2-3, Joey Capito, a three-goal game, it's 10-7. McIntosh falls away from the ball, Matthews shoots it, he scores! Made something out of nothing there, did Mark Matthews, and he's got a hat-trick on the night, and he puts his team up by two. Keegan Ball's turn with it. Drops it off for McBride by himself, and he scores! Jordan McBride, hat-trick goal, and we're tied at 11. McGrady gets it back all alone in front, and he scores! He gets a steal and buries it at the other end. What a job there by Matt McGrady. His first goal of the season. Still 30 seconds left in the power play for Philadelphia. Crowley swings it, Rambo downstairs, and Reardon scores. They score at least 12 goals again at home for the fourth time in five home games. They're going to improve to four and one at home. Kevin Crowley gets a late one here in his former home. The big cat, Kevin Crowley, had six goals, two assists over the weekend as the Wings and Black Wolf split a pair of back-to-back -back games within a 20-hour time frame. And unfortunately, the Wings couldn't pull a double as they tried as best they could. They just seemed to run out of gas in that second game on Sunday as the Black Wolves cruised to a six-goal win. But in and amongst all that, we heard highlights from the Toronto game. The Rock have won five, count them, five one-goal games, and they've also won six in a row. They're 7-1, top in the entire National Lacrosse League. And when we get to Pat Gregoire, we'll see who he thinks will be the first team to kind of slow them down on this run. He doesn't think it's going to happen for a few weeks, so a little teaser there. Obviously, Philadelphia and New England in Philadelphia was a great game, 14-10. The Wings took that one. They seemed to be in control for most of that game. Um, they were up 4-1 after the first. It was 8-6 after the second, and they just kind of were able to cruise through that game. They won the loose ball battle 71-67 and also won the faceoffs. And let's talk about Trevor Baptiste for a minute, shall we? He's probably not going to garner too many first-place Rookie of the Year votes, but it wouldn't surprise me if he gets a few. He's still looking for his first National Lacrosse League goal, but he has won 
186 of 286 face-offs taken. If you do the quick math, 186 divided by 286, and you get a solid 65% face-off percentage for Trevor Beast Baptiste. And we've talked many times on this show all throughout the years that this has been something that goes into your eardrums. I truly believe that having a guy that can get you possession off of a face-off at the rate that Trevor Baptiste is doing is vitally important to the success of your club. Now, I know there's other people who don't put as much weight into face-offs as I do, but I think when you think of momentum, you think of clock possession, you think of clock management, being able to get that ball back right after you score or right after the other team scores is vitally and crucially important. So I I think Trevor Baptiste should be getting a lot more praise and recognition that he may be doing. As I mentioned, he's still looking for that first National Lacrosse League goal. It'll come at some point. At some point, Trevor Baptiste is going to win a draw cleanly enough to himself that he's going to be able to run around a couple of defenders, pass some players, go right through the middle and score a goal. It is going to happen by the time this season is over. He will notch his first National Lacrosse League goal. Another player that I'd like to talk about quickly before we move on throughout the weekend uh, on the Philadelphia Wings is Matt Rambo. And if you've listened to any of Paul Day's interviews or read any of the interviews that he's done, one of the things that he has preached with Matt Rambo was don't necessarily try and become a box player. You were so successful in the field game. Just play your style of game. And when I watch Matt Rambo play, if you take away his outside shot, which is incredibly effective and very lethal, I truly think that he is a left-handed Jake Berge. Short and stocky, physically fit, physical, and really plays with a mean, dirty edge to him and can work inside and get to the middle of the floor. Now, Obviously, it took Jake Berge a few years to understand the nuances, just like it's going to take Matt Rambo. And when I think of Matt Rambo learning the box game and the nuances of the two-man game and the pick and rolls, I think Matt Rambo is going to be a very, very productive player for years to come in the indoor game. Once he really finds some chemistry with somebody on that lefty side, whether it be uh, a guy like Jordan Hall, I think he can take his game to another level. He's got 11 goals, 20 points on the season, and he just continues to get better with every game. Just look at his stat totals. His first game, he had three points, then one point, then he had an off game um, in against Colorado. Sorry, this is just his last five games, but in his last two games, in that New England back-to-back, he had nine points. That's pretty impressive for a first guy playing in his first season of indoor lacrosse. So I think... Trevor Baptiste, Matt Rambo, I know there were a lot of questions surrounding them coming into the year. I think they put a lot of those questions and doubters behind them. Uh, They've really shown that they can compete in the indoor game and have success in the indoor game. And I think their, their game personally will continue to find and go to another level. Focusing back on week 10 and some of the other games that happened over the weekend. We kind of touched base on the New England-Philly series and that Toronto game, 
But all the other games, including the Toronto game, were really close. Within one or two goals, Colorado beats Georgia for their second straight win. Buffalo knocks off Calgary by two, so they keep pace with Toronto. And Saskatchewan snaps their three-game losing streak by knocking off Vancouver by a pair of goals. And that game as well, like the Calgary-Buffalo game, like the Colorado-Georgia game, and especially that Toronto-San Diego game, went late into the fourth quarter with really no true winner to be decided. And that goes to show, people you love to use the word parody, that just goes to show really how even both sides of the league are. Now, when you look at the standings, sure, the West standings aren't as glorious as the East standings. And you could take the top three teams in the East, Toronto, Buffalo, Georgia, and they'd be one, two, three if you put them in the West division, just on winning percentage. They've also played more games than the Western teams have on average. There's still some teams out West that haven't gotten to the halfway mark of their season. San Diego, Saskatchewan, Colorado. They've only played eight games. Whereas Georgia's played 11, Buffalo's played 10. Sorry, Toronto has only played eight as well. But we're starting to see more teams out East have more games. And I think a lot of that has to do um, just with the ease of travel. They can play games against each other more often. But when you battle East versus West, I don't think there's much to be decided. I don't think you could say that even though they're 7-1, and one, Toronto is that much better than Calgary, Saskatchewan, San Diego, Colorado, or Vancouver, any of those teams. Even if you take the top four out East and match up against all five teams out West, there's probably not a lot to differentiate between the two or between all those clubs. They match up really well. I don't think any team would get blown out on either side of the ledger. And even though teams like Rochester and Philadelphia um, are struggling and they're three and a half, four games back in their standings, a couple wins here and there, they get right back into it, find themselves some momentum. But more so out west, the musical chairs continues. Going into the weekend, San Diego was the number one. And then when they lost to Toronto and put Calgary in first, Saskatchewan was in fourth. Vancouver was in, sorry, Saskatchewan was in third. Vancouver was in fourth. Colorado was in fifth. Saskatchewan wins. They go to second. San Diego drops all the way from first to third. Mammoth vaults over the Warriors. And it just continues to flip-flop with every game, whether you play or whether you don't, you have the risk of climbing or falling in the standings. Which makes every game that much more crucial as we move on into the second half of the season. And it's going to be very interesting to see how as we get closer to the trade deadline, if there are indeed any teams buying and selling, what players become available, what guys are moved, shopped, or shipped. Because as we can see, pretty much every team is one or two pieces away from really being a true contender. 
yeah, sure. You could probably say favorites right now might be Toronto or Buffalo. But, again, I don't think Georgia's that far off, even though they're in a bit of a slump. I don't think truly any of the five teams out west can be counted out as a contender. Vancouver and Colorado, they've struggled. They're starting to find their swagger. It's a big Pat Coyle word, the swagger of the Colorado man, but they're starting to find that. Vancouver's had some ups and downs. But I, I truly don't think that either of those teams are any worse than San Diego, Saskatchewan, or Calgary. And with only three games on the schedule this weekend, it will probably be a very telling sign of where some teams are and could create some separation. Buffalo at Rochester on Friday, as is Colorado at Saskatchewan. And then no games on Saturday, but we go all the way to Sunday, a 1 o'clock Eastern time game, Toronto at New England. Only three games, quiet weekend for week 11 in the National Lacrosse League. But again, save for Rochester and Philadelphia, I'm not sure how much there is to differentiate between the other nine teams in the National Lacrosse League. I think it's going to be one heck of a final month and a half of the National Lacrosse League as we move towards the playoffs. And like I said, move towards that trade deadline because that will really tell you how teams feel about their status and where they sit. Mentioned the Georgia Swarm. They are in a bit of a funk, as it were. Not exactly having the 2019 that they were hoping that they would have. They've currently lost two in a row, uh, a 19-9 defeat two weekends ago to Buffalo, and then a 10-8 loss to Colorado. Back-to-back games, scoring in single digits, very unlike that high-powered offense, and it probably has a few people concerned. So that's why we go to our good friend Ty Merrill. He is their beat reporter, um, does a lot of work for them behind the scenes, Uh, with game recaps, uh, press releases. One of his best features is the Swarm film room where he breaks down game tape and breakdowns little idiosyncrasies of different players on the Swarm. He does an incredible job, uh, and I've been wanting to chat with him for quite some time just to get a little inside scoop on the Swarm. So he joined us this week on the show. And since it's really been our first time to chat, we just thought we'd chat a little weather down in Atlanta. I'm doing all good, man. Fighting off a bit of a, a bit of a cold down here, but other than that, doing all right. Isn't it hot in Atlanta? That's what they the kids say. It, it keeps switching back and forth. Unfortunately, <laughs> we had one day it was 14, and then about two days later it was about 80, and then it swung back down to the 40s. So, the sickness been going around the office. I finally, finally succumbed to it. So, hot and cold, kind of like the Georgia Swarm. That's that's a very good way of putting it more specifically the offense yeah what what's been going on with with this team we know how um potent their offense can be with lyle and miles and randy stotts and shane jackson uh and holding katoni what's been their achilles heel these last few games not being able to get into double digits um i, I think there's a couple of things that are contributing to it one i mean first and foremost the thing that jumps out to me would be the schedule 10 games in eight weeks, especially with two doubleheaders in there, they really haven't gotten the, you know, breathing room that a bye week breathes. Like, I, I know not everybody's crazy about bye weeks, but given the schedule that they've had, that 
that's going to end up taking a uh, toll on your team, right? Yeah. So I, I think that I, I think that certainly factors into it. Um, the shot selection has not been great. The Swarm has only four times this season where they've uh, their shots off have been under twenty. And, and that's the one thing you really see, especially like last – well, last week, Colorado did a really, really good job of pressing them out and either forcing bad shots or not force, or forcing them to not take a shot at all, you know. Um, so that's that's certainly been a factor too, just like the shot selection has been great. Um, and then it was uh, – when I, when I talked with head coach Ed Camo a bit, um, chemistry was kind of a thing because you got to look at what they lost in the expansion draft with uh, – Kyle Matisse and Jordan Hall both going to Philly and then bringing in Katomi and King going over to, uh, going over to Calgary. Like that's, you got a couple of new pieces in there. Um, and I think some of those new pieces are still trying to find their way. Like I, I, I still think Zed Williams is underselling himself. I, I think mm-hmm. he's, he's becoming one of my favorite players just to watch out there. Um, and I just, I, I, I fully believe he's going to end up catching fire at some point and just really putting the league on notice. Um, But you're still kind of having this kind of chemistry issue is probably the best way to put it, where everybody's just like a hair off here and there. And and I don't don't really know a good solution to that one. You'd kind of hope 11 games in that would be solved at this point, Mm -hmm. at least solidified. Mm -hmm. But – we're still not quite there. I, I, I think Rochester showed some pretty good flashes of what the team can do when the offense is clicking and connecting and really moving the ball around. Um, it's just, it, it's been, it, it, we're not seeing that consistently. Lyle and Randy have been probably the two most productive guys on a consistent basis. Um, Georgia as a team has 15 first rounders within that roster. And I remember when people were giving um, the the franchise a lot of flack for not only moving from Minnesota, but while they were there trading away high caliber players for draft picks. When they got down to Georgia, they were trading away high end talent for draft picks. It's now starting to pay off. How important is it for this club to not only continue to build off that youth, but continue to add youth? I I mean, it's incredibly important, especially with expansion teams on the, on the horizon, right? I mean, you've got two coming next year. So once again, you're going to be losing two players that you really, really need. And the more talent and draft picks that you can accrue, the better. I'm, and John Arlott has done a really, really good job of stockpiling draft picks and getting the team ready for that. Um, it's, it, it's unfortunately, it's just with how much talent the team had, with how much talent the Swan had, like there's, they're ultimately going to end up losing really, really good players, and you're going to see them go somewhere else and do amazing. I mean, I, I absolutely love what Kyle Matisse is doing this year for Philly. Mm-hmm. Um, he's he's really, really stepping to the captaincy role very well, I think. Um, it's yeah, it, it's important. It's just it's a matter of how how do you keep that core together as time goes on, you know? Lyle leading the goal with leading the league with 29 goals. Uh, Randy Stott, second in the league in assists. Both those guys are top three in scoring. Um, do those guys play off each other in sort of a competition-ish style? Like, they've been in the league the same amount of time. Randy won rookie of the year during Lyle's year. Lyle's kind of moved to the forefront. But those two have a little friendly competition going between themselves, don't they? I don't know if they actually do. I think – I wholeheartedly believe that this team really – 
doesn't care who has a great night and who doesn't as long as they're all getting the win. Definitely big on celebrating the little things, getting that loose ball, playing a good shift, things like that. Um, I I really don't think they care too much as long as the other person does well as long as it leads to the team having success. That's and like circling back to Zed Williams, that's one thing I've seen a lot from him is he's very physical out there. He sets a ton of great picks and is a very physical player crashing and bumping, and that really does a good job of helping open up Randy and Lyle, and then they're obviously they've got that chemistry, having been playing with each other for so long. I yeah, they're just they're just a bunch of unselfish guys, and they they absolutely love it as long as they're winning, right? I really love the fact that you continue to talk about Zed Williams. I've been so impressed with him. Obviously, the loss of Kyle Matisse has opened up that right hand side for him, but I'm not sure many people knew how really good he was. No, and that's – I'm trying to think. I, I I was kind of running around in my head, like, who does he remind me a lot of? And, uh, man, like, the best way to put it would probably be a cross between Matisse and Tyler Digby. Mm-hmm. Cause Digby just uses his body, works his way inside, and does a lot of work for his teammates, right? And Kyle did the exact same thing. Um, Zach doesn't have Digby's size, uh, but he's just – he's such an athletic dude he's in really really great shape and just what he what he does to help create space is phenomenal and I I honestly when he we were um at training camp and everything it was the first time we ever had down in Georgia ton of fun uh just going and getting to watch all that and he was he, he impressed me the most out of everybody out there just like some of the shots he was doing just looked so effortless and it's I, I know it's not a competitive setting um, but like that's why I'm just such a firm believer in his ability. I, I really think we're just seeing the beginning of him getting comfortable out there on the floor. Yeah, absolutely. I, I've always said that uh, he reminds me of uh, Ryan Powell when Ryan Powell was in the league, just because he's not super flashy, but he's he's a solid body. He's thick. He's athletic. He's physical, and he can get to the dirty areas. And the goal that he scored in Colorado this weekend was just a perfect example of that caught up behind the net, worked his way out front, little backhand flip that got past Dylan Ward. And that was just a sort of a typical Zed Williams goal using his size and strength to get to the front of the net. At the other end of the floor, yeah. Mike Poulin is, has now made 5,000 saves in his national lacrosse league career. Uh, he's obviously, you know, lost his last two starts, but um, he is as strong a leadership point as the Georgia Swarm have. Oh my gosh, I can't think of a single person with anything bad to say about him. Yeah. He's just he's he's a phenomenal guy and he really yeah, I I think he was a big well, I know he was a big part of why the Swarm won that championship back in 2017 and why they mm-hmm. continue to have success on the back end. Um if you I it's selective math, but if you take out that Bandits game, um, this would be the second best defense statistically in the league. Like they're just yeah. they're they're doing a great job holding opponents to low goal totals. Um, just that was a really really off night uh, when Buffalo came to town for everybody, and that's just that sucked obviously, <laughs> but <laughs> politely. But Poole yeah. has done just a really good job of like keeping everybody together. He's a real fun dude. Always just. Yeah, everybody loves him. I can't think of a single person that has anything bad to say about him. You're a bit of a local Atlanta guy. Uh, when you mm-hmm. first found out that the Swarm were moving to Gwinnett and they were coming to your area, what was the buzz like around the community that Pro Lacrosse was coming to the Deep South? Um, It, it was... 
it was it was cool. It was new and interesting. I don't think a lot of people knew what indoor lacrosse was. Um, mm-hmm. I never played. I could barely touch my toes. My two youngest brothers uh, played lacrosse uh, for about 10 years before the swarm came down. So like, we were very familiar with the field version um, and just, but not really too much of a clue of what box entailed or seeing it live. Um, and then you just see it and just, it, it, it gets its hooks in you, man. Like it, it's, I've, I'm always, personally, I'm always very thoroughly entertained during yeah. the game, regardless of whether the swarm win or lose. Like it's just, it's, it's a lot of talent out there um, doing some really, really incredible things. And just, it's, I, I think one of the other things you've seen as the years have gone on is that it's really catching up with the youth. They're definitely seeing, or parents and kids are definitely seeing their skills increase when they play box, particularly their uh, stick skills, hands, and they've just got that kind of, that, that the ability to think in a smaller confine, even though they're playing in a larger space whenever they do field. And that's, that's very attractive for those kids as well. Has there been a, a growth in the box game throughout minor and, and youth down in the area? Are there a lot of, whether it be camps or club programs starting up for the kids? Um, there's a couple. We do the junior swan thing. Uh, Drew right. Petkoff heads that up. Um, it, it's There's probably not as as much as we would like. Um, I know, I'm trying to remember, I know there's one or two over in the Marietta area. There's an old guys lacrosse league too, which is a ton of fun to watch them do their <laughs> stuff. Um, but I think, I think it's a lot more, it's still very field focused over yeah. here. Um, and that's one thing they're just like, it's, it's still growing in Atlanta. We did a, uh, last year we went down to, ooh, what was the county? Muscogee? Musk- Muskogee, one or the other, um, which is southwest of Atlanta by about two hours. Uh, there was there's only one high school women's lacrosse team down there uh, within that county, so they don't really get a lot of exposure to the ridge from that. So that's it's when Shane Jackson and Brian Cole went down to uh, hold a clinic for these girls. They, they they were really teaching them more on the field aspects, and that's something that it's it's just gonna take time. There's not really mm-hmm. a lot of facilities down here for box um especially ever since the thrashers left yeah um so it's not like we still we still have an old sign for thrashers forum but uh we're we're having to drive kind of a minute to get to a uh a rink that you can actually play box in at least on the east side of the land right so the, the swarm moved down to, to Gwinnett county that's been there for almost a handful of years now is it starting to catch on? Because everybody looks at, at the tenants' numbers and they look at people that are in the seats and in empty seats. How is the swarm being recognized and perceived by the local community? Is it starting to grow? Is it starting to gain numbers? Uh, I think so. I, I think, and this is coming from someone that, I, I, like you mentioned, I've been in Atlanta for most of my life. Uh, Braves are my, like, that's my baseball team. Uh, that's what I was raised on. Um, Atlanta at times could be a very tough sports market to get into. The Swarm, in my opinion, does a really, really great job working at a grassroots level. A lot of clinics, a lot of instructional stuff. Um, the coaches during home games, after they do shoot around, they're normally doing one or two clinics. Um, after that, just trying to really get these kids invested in the sport. And it's it's kind of like I mentioned earlier, like you see a game, you're pretty much hooked. It's just 
it's getting those people to come back and everything. I think we're start like it's it's slow. I think we're seeing success. The season ticket numbers have gone up for the swarm, or the number of season ticket holders have gone up every year. Um, it's just it's it's taken its time. Like I said, a lot of grassroots, um, a lot of digital marketing to uh, working with local teams in the area. I will say. Atlanta sports, the Atlanta sports community does a really, really good job of supporting each other. The Braves, Falcons, United, uh, the Atlanta Dream, they're very, the Hawks, they're very, they're very integral and kind of feeding off each other as far as support. So just, yeah, we're we're getting there. It's just, it's taking its time. In the South, we like to do things slow. (laughs) (laughs) There's nothing wrong with that. Uh, You mentioned that we're finally getting a bit of a buy. They've got a couple weeks off here. Uh, before they go into the home stretch of their schedule, they got seven games left, five against the NLL East, and it is a very, very tough Eastern Division at the top of the standings. Obviously, right now they're trailing behind the Rock and the Bandits, but how do the Georgia Swarm find some momentum in the last half of the season and get themselves uh, into one of those top two spots? I, I would say right now, just getting healthy, really kind of reevaluating things like that. I, it just it reminds me of last year when they were five and seven and then the uh they ended up winning the last six games to snatch first place out from the east division the team really just there there's kind of a self-evaluation that i feel like they've got to do um and it's uh, it's it's really tough like toronto's playing phenomenal lacrosse the bandits are playing phenomenal lacrosse like it's hard to imagine that a team is seven and four and in third yet here we are um i i don't I think the Swarm defense has been incredibly strong. Um, I think the offense has shown flashes, but we're not where we thought we were, like, following 2017. And it's not like they're there. Like I was mentioning earlier, I feel like they're just a hair off here and there. But when when they click, ooh, they click hard. So it's just – it's getting back to that. It's taking really smart shots, moving the ball around, moving your feet. I mean, like, that's – we have it. I think that's one – kind of indicator of everything is when they're not swinging the ball as much as they used to do. Um, you can see that that's not really leading to the success that you'd like to see from them. And I think once they get back to that, they'll, they'll be fine. Like that's, again, they're seven and four. That's still a really, really good record for being at this point in the season. That doesn't mean they can let off, um, but it's just, it's just finding that last little bit to get everything just to click into place. Seven and four, they, if they were in, Minnesota and part of the West, they'd be first in the West Division. It's uh, it's a crazy scene in the National Crossing right now. Uh, Ty, when is the next film room coming out, and what can we expect you to focus on? I have no clue. Um, <laughs> I kind of, I'm not gonna lie. When I came, I, I've been wanting to do something like this for, oh my gosh, ever. And I, a large part of it has been because I'm such a fan of Jason Noble's game, yeah. and I kind of. Uh, I, I kind of used that last week, didn't I? So um, <laughs> I, I, I'm not sure. I usually go back and watch the, every game or watch the Swan games at least two, three times. Um, yeah. So I'm going to have to go back and take a look. Honestly, it might end up being Zed at this point. Um, just, yeah, hope, hopefully we can get something this week. If not, maybe next week. Um, but I, I've got a couple other content pieces I want to do now that we have a bye week. So we'll see. Definitely, definitely might be bad now that I'm thinking about it. <laughs> so a couple things in the pipeline. Uh, you always put out great stuff, whether it's written content for the Swarm or, or your film room. Uh, keep up the great stuff. I appreciate you giving us some time, and uh, 
We'll talk to you soon, my friend. Yeah, sounds good. Thanks, Terry. There he is, Ty Marrow, beat reporter and team guy for the Georgia Swarm. Uh, you can find him on Twitter, Ty Lax. That's T-Y-M-E-R-L-A-X. Um, great stuff from him. Just a little bit of insight on everything. And again, if you haven't seen some of his film room stuff that he does, uh, I highly recommend you check it out. Um, he does great work for the Swarm. The Swarm are doing great work uh, down in the Gwinnett community. Obviously, their grassroots stuff is great. Uh, I really like the idea um, that he touched on that after morning shootarounds, uh, when the team usually is is gone back from the room to the hotel to get their pregame meals and naps in, a lot of the coaching staff will stick around and do camps on the floor for whether it be local adults, local kids, men, women, coaches, players, whatever it may be. Uh, they do a ton of good grassroots stuff, marketing stuff. And they do a bunch of other stuff that's just not grassroots related. And I think I remember when the Swarm won the Cup uh, and they were recognized by, I think it was they were recognized by the Atlanta Falcons. Um, and then they've had Jordan McIntosh ringing the bell at the United Soccer Games. Like, Ty said it. Those sport teams in Atlanta are really intertwined in their connection with each other. They all support each other. Kind of like the the one Buffalo mentality where all the teams in Buffalo kind of under one flag. I think down south in the deep south in Georgia where you have all those teams in Atlanta and the surrounding areas, they really rally around each other and they show each other a lot of support so so it's pretty cool to see teams rally around each other um, again thanks to time arrow a bit of under the weather but uh, he gave us some time and some great insights as well mike poolin is one of the swarms goaltenders they also have kevin orleman and his younger brother steven orleman but there's a bunch of goaltenders around the national crossing as you may know 11 teams. Each team carries two. That's 22. The odd team has a third goaltender. Maybe call it 28 goaltenders throughout the National Lacrosse League. And we've had the conversation before. As this league continues to expand, where will they find certain position players that will be at a premium? And goaltenders are going to be at a premium. Now, I'm sure you're going to be able to find a lot of people who have played goal and could play goal and would like to play goal in the National Lacrosse League. But how many of those people are going to be either NLL caliber or legit starters in the National Lacrosse League? And already this year, as seeing we're not quite at the full halfway mark for all the teams, we've already seen some teams either continue with the platoon system of alternating goaltenders in and out, or we've seen number ones lose their spot or been replaced for the odd game for their backups. Now, often you'll see a backup goaltender play the second game of a back-to-back or maybe the first game, whatever it may be. But it's not too often that you'll see a team coming off a fresh week into a game and not play their number one. I was thoroughly in shock when Evan Kirk wasn't starting against Vancouver. Adam Shute got the start. And at the other end of the floor, it was Eric Penny, who was starting for, I believe, the third straight game for the Vancouver Warriors. That means that Aaron Bold and Evan Kirk, two goaltenders who have been a part of numerous 
National Lacrosse League Finals and Championship winning teams are finding themselves on the bench. And so that kind of got me thinking, why is this happening? Why are teams either continuing to platoon? Most reason is because their goaltenders aren't giving them consistent minutes consistently over time. But the other question is, how does a goaltender who is at the top of his game just kind of seem to lose it and not have it anymore? And so I went to one of the best sources for goaltender information, and that's one Marty O'Neill, an incredible writer for Inside Lacrosse. He's got um, great content every time he puts something out. And I caught up with him on Tuesday just to talk to him about where goaltenders are, how do they change men- mental attitudes, especially when they're put in tough positions. But we started our conversation talking about Ray Hodgkinson, a guest that we had on the podcast a couple weeks ago. Um, and if you remember listening to that interview with Ray in studio, he talked about his relationship with Marty O'Neill and how when Ray was a kid, Marty was the guy he looked up to uh, and a guy he modeled his game after and a guy that as he went on and out of his career, he really started to lean on Marty. So when we started a conversation, I just asked Marty how great it was to see a guy like Ray battle through the trials and tribulations of life and finally be able to find himself some happiness. In Ray's case, it's extra special just because we we had a relationship outside of the game and, uh, um, you know, being introduced to him through Paul Michaels, who was his uncle, who I played with in the Shamrocks from a very young age. You know, it's not just a kid I meet who's a lacrosse goalie. It's a Victoria kid who, you know, is at your, <laughs> at your stall after every home game and, uh, you know, year after year. And so as you can relate to, as you knew me when you were a child and you uh, grew up with the Heaveners who lived across the street from you, it was a similar relationship. It's, it's not just like a, I guess, uh, transcends lacrosse, what I'm trying to say. Yeah, it was a great story. Yeah, it's it's awesome to see him finding happiness and health and, and become an even bigger human specimen than he was when he was still trying to play the game of lacrosse. Um, in the NLL right now, it's crazy to me that four of the 11 teams still don't have a bona fide starter. Is that surprising to you? Or do you think with expansion coming and not enough talented or bona fide starters out there, that this is going to be something we're going to see in years to come? Sure. It's, 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 it's here to stay. I mean, it's, yeah. it, it, it loosened up a little bit here, you know, um, for the goalies that have uh, haven't really had, I should say, enough time in the in the NLL uh, in games to to sort of get their bearings and and prove that they can play. Now that's I think the 19 NLL era was really stagnating a lot of players, not just goalies. And uh, for an outsider like me watching it, uh, I I think it's just so important that we have expansion for so many reasons, but this is just one of them. And, and so um, I think a lot of goalies are going to get their chance. And, you know, it, it could take a guy three games to get climatized to the NL, or it could take him three seasons, or it could take him, you know, longer. So so we see a lot of that uh, everywhere, but um, uh, it's it's coming, like you say. It's, it's, it's already here, I should say. 
Now, as as a goaltender, when you're in that position, as you know, sort of tag teaming back and forth, what does that do to your psyche when you never know if you're going to get the next start? You never really know if if the next goal you let in is going to be the goal that puts you on the bench. How does that affect goaltenders? Do they do they push that aside, or is that constantly on their mind while they're between the pipes? Yeah, I. It really depends on their age and their experience level because. Mm-hmm. After a while, when you're good with yourself, you can deal with situations. But when you're young, I think you take a lot of stuff personally, and right. you have to rise above that. And uh, you know, I, I can I can certainly relate. But but at the same time, it's it's like you had Frank Scigliano and Mike Poulin, who I worked with, the two of them, and you know, it was kind of like Mike's job to lose, and then. And then Frank got in there for a while, and then Mike got back in there, and then Mike went away, and then Frank was a guy, and then it started all over again with Christian and Frank, and now Frank's gone, and it's Christian's mm-hmm. job, and and it's a little different situation because of extension, but uh, that that's just the nature of the beast. So I just think that if you don't have an established starter, I don't think it's going to be that rare to see a tandem. Mm-hmm. And if you have an established starter, then teams think they're going to have a leg up on the competition. And so you're going to see the guys who are, as we would quote, established right now, um, kind of get get their chance to just hold on to their job. And in a situation like Philadelphia or New England, you're going to start seeing lots of who's hot, and that's the guy who gets to play. When you look at New England and and – Philadelphia, for example, is there one of those four goalies that stands out to you as a guy that could be a future talent at number one? Absolutely. Um, last year, I thought BK, you know, was in the perfect storm that he landed in Buffalo and, and he was going to get his chance. And uh, the team was defensively sound enough that he would rise, you know, with the with the advent of him having lots of playing time and that would give him more confidence and then it would all kind of merge and it didn't quite happen that way and it seems like it's happening more now in New England which is weird but yeah true and and I really like what I've seen from Doug Buckin thus far um, you know he's had he's had good games and bad games inside of one game but uh, he's doing quite a bit with his opportunity and. Uh, what I like about him versus a lot of the goalies I'm watching these days is he's coming more from a skill base. He's not just a big guy who's taking up space and, mm-hmm. or dropping to his knees on every shot. He's he's looking at balls and he's playing what's coming at him as opposed to just uh, kind of um, filling the hole, so to speak. You mentioned you know teams that have a, a bona fide starter, they can kind of ride that guy, give him confidence. I think at the start of the year, Saskatchewan and Vancouver thought they had their number one guy in Evan Kirk and Aaron Bold. And as we look the past couple weekends, Eric Penny and Adam Shute have been the guys that have been starting for those. So how does a guy go from being like those are three guys, two guys in Kirk and Bold that have won three of the last four NLL Cups. And now all of a sudden they find themselves backing up young guys coming through the ranks. What does that do to a starter psyche when he loses his job? Well, again, it depends on how grounded you are in yourself and uh, the situation. I, I don't really think Kirk lost his job unless you've heard otherwise, but um, an asterisk to your last three or four is that 
all three of them were with Saskatchewan and they were traded for each other. And, mm-hmm. and it's a pretty good environment when you know that you can probably count on your team scoring 12 or 14 or 18 goals a game. And, uh, and you get the best defense in the league and maybe in the history of the league in front of you. So um, I'm not trying to take anything away from those two goalies, but I could, I could guarantee you could plug a lot of goalies into that system and they would do well, if not better than those two. So with that said, um, you know, uh, both those guys have come from other situations and, and bold is, you know, he's, he's worked his way through the league and really found a home in Saskatchewan, whereas Kirk, you know, won a goalie of the year award in new England and proved himself in a lesser situation and was a starter also in Georgia. Yeah. And whether the storm at the end of the story in Philadelphia's first run as an organization, when the team was kind of, um, I guess thin, you know, a lot yeah. of trades and, and a lot of things that didn't work out. And it was a bit of a rough ride. So he's seen a lot of situations. And so I like his background and it lends to him having a lot of uh, experience or character through experience, I should say. And he should be able to, you know, bounce back. And he did last year. You know, I thought he had a bit of a, a weak second half last year. And then he, he played a couple of really good games in the playoffs when it mattered. So Kirk doesn't, uh, doesn't, bother me so much if, if I'm Derek Keenan but uh, again you know Adam Shoot got in there he got a win um, he's been hanging around he's been sort of working away at it with the Shamrocks and Adnax and Senior A's played lots of meaningful games and you know could be ready to go with another team if he goes in expansion but you know he took over for Tyler Carlson who's in San Diego and both of those guys kind of kept Pete Dubinsky out of the mix who I'm who I'm just dumbfounded it's not in the NLL. I mean, if you want to talk pure skill, a guy's got it in spades and yeah, yeah. teams continue to ignore him. And it's, um, it's sometimes it's almost like, uh, you know, your local team, there's guys who are easy to say no to. And uh, Pete's one of those guys. He's just, you know, he's from Nanaimo. He doesn't have a lot of pedigree in that sense. And, and so, you know, he's not tied into uh, a long lineage of Orangeville guys or Victoria mm-hmm, guys right. or that kind of thing. So, uh, uh, I guarantee you, when Pete gets a start, it won't it won't be a short it won't be a short road. It will be a long road if he keeps playing. Because you know, at some point, some guys back it in. But I think a lot of goalies will get their shots in the next couple of years, and we're going to see you know quite a few guys break out and, and get their chance. I mean, I, I can I can go on here for hours. I mean, yeah. Tyler Carlson was Ty, was Evan Kirk's starter in, in Minnesota and I, right. I thought a really solid goalie in, in Minnesota. Like I thought he was really good and I thought he outplayed Kirk there. And so then, you know, he was on the bench watching Bold and then Kirk for the last five years just growing mothballs and now he's doing it again and we'll never ever maybe see him as a starter ever again and right. it's kind of like a wasted guy in my mind and you know there's there's lots of those stories too. Yeah. Um who's the best goal in the NLL right now do you think? I can't really answer that without getting myself in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. So Christian Del Bianco. Let's let's let's, let's say this. Let's say this. I, I actually noticed that I thought Dylan Ward was struggling a little bit at the end of last year. Yeah. But he still won the goalie of the year award, and I still voted for him on Iowa Indoor, and, and I thought he earned it. I mean, uh, what's going on in Colorado, and you're close to it, is that there's a team that I think is overachieved for a couple of years, and I keep waiting for the brick to cut to fall out of the wall and then the wall to collapse. And it kind of is happening, but 
you know, that work ethic's carrying them to some degree, but, um, but there hasn't been a lot of first round picks coming in the last couple of years. And there hasn't, you know, been a lot of reason to have any, uh, I think, um, you can't look at that and say they're going to get better. You can mm-hmm. only say that other teams around them might be getting better and they might be slipping. So I think Dylan Ward's the glue that keeps all that together. And, and he's under a lot more pressure these days than he has been in the past. And, um, you know, so you got to give him credit for that. And I think he's, he's the biggest reason why the mammoth have been doing so well for a few years now. Uh, before we let you go, you've been spending some time uh, across the pond in Europe, helping out, uh, some club teams and national teams and, and kind of grooming the next European goaltenders. How is that scene over there? And, you know, we've seen Joachim Miller become the first uh, true Euro to play in the National Crossing. When are we going to see uh, the first true Euro goaltender make the transition to the NLL? I would say within like six or seven years, you're going to see, uh, I know if, one Finn and two Czechs that are quite good, and two of them are already playing in North America, and the third probably within a year. And you know, we'll see how they do in June or But uh, the really cool thing about European box lacrosse is that the kids have to play with a plastic stick and an NL size net from the time they're little kids. So right, they're 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 gaining a foothold on people over here by by knowing that game inside and out before they have to rearrange themselves for a few years before it's time to go back to that size net. So I don't know if that's going to translate, but I'm, I'm, I'm betting it can because it's no different. I think an American kid who's not getting the games a Canadian kid gets can still get quite good at stopping a ball just by practicing properly and working on things on his own and being ready for his moment. And so I could see a few Americans and a few Europeans breaking through in the next three to five Marty, always a pleasure, my friend. Uh, what's the next article on IL that you're working on? Just what I was working on this morning. I uh, just started talking about uh, maybe two or three guys from each team in the NL thus far this season that have um, surprised or supported or, you know, done some some really neat things. And, and I think out of the same sort of theme we're talking about is expansion has loosened it up. So who's who's shown up that – may have been around before and had a cup of tea or what have you and uh and uh, is making some noise like say uh jordan mcbride that's marty o'neill you can't find him on twitter but you can find all of his writings over at inside the cross as he mentioned just working on a piece about some surprises on each team in the early part of the season and uh, not andrew mcbride jordan mcbride um playing in his fourth year in the national lacrosse league his first year uh, with Vancouver, he's been out of the league for five years, and he's already, already guaranteed himself a career year. In eight games, he's got 18 goals, 12 assists, 30 points. His career high are 14 games played, unless injuries, he's going to pass that. Um, he's six goals shy of his career high. He's 13 assists shy of a career high, and 19 points away from setting career numbers in pretty much every statistical category. And those are the great stories that you like to see in sports. And we talked about McBride a few weeks ago when I said, having watched him, and it was I, I think I jokingly said it was probably because he's been a New West guy for so long playing against the Victoria Shamrocks that 
watching his game, I haven't sort of been impressed. I can honestly say I've been thoroughly impressed with Jordan McBride's game this year for the Vancouver Warriors. He has gotten to the front of the net. He scored highlight reel goals. He scored big goals. He scored timely goals. He's really found himself in a bit of a veteran leadership role, even though he's only in his fourth season and been out of the league for five years. So I think uh, the Jordan McBride story is an absolutely fantastic one. I'm super stoked that he is having some success and he's getting the quality playing time that Chris Gill is giving him. And in return, he's producing. And he's got 10 points in his last two games, six goals, four assists. So Jordan McBride, as Brad Challoner would say, the pride of New Westminster out of Stony Brook, is having himself quite a resurgence in the National Lacrosse League. So uh, check out Inside Lacrosse um, for Marty's piece that's coming up uh, in the next couple days. I want to thank Marty for stopping by, as always, for tuning in. But you heard him talk about expansion. And we know that there is more coming. Next year, the Nighthawks, or Rochester's current Nighthawks, will relocate to Halifax and become the Thunderbirds. Rochester will work themselves into an expansion draft to get a brand new team, and they'll join the New York Riptide as true expansion teams and work themselves through the expansion draft and kind of have to start from scratch. But we do know that it's going to be the Riptide and the Thunderbirds. Now, we got some leaks, as it were, and people started to um, find the images of logos and colors. And I know the league wanted to do a full-scale unveil on Saturday and Sunday for the two separate teams, and I thought um, the Thunderbirds unveiling went fantastic just from seeing the videos and a lot of the social stuff that was there. The New York one was kind of odd. They were doing it at um, a tennis tournament that was going on in New York because I believe the ownership group of the New York Riptide does have some propriety in U.S. tennis of some sort. And theirs didn't seem to have as much hype around it. And maybe that was just the locale that it was chosen and the time. But when you looked at the two side by side, the Halifax one was fantastic. They had um, Indian war drums. They had uh, Indian dancers. They had everybody. And there was a ton of people in attendance. Uh, they had a bunch of the well, current Nighthawks, soon-to-be Thunderbird players in attendance. Um, I'm a big fan of their color scheme. It's very Six Nations, Arrows, Toronto Nationals kind of combination, and that's very Kurt Styers. Um, as those were, you know, two of his teams. My brother jokingly said it looked like a baby Nighthawk. You know, people are saying all purple San Diego colors and the orange is the Bandits colors, but I think you got to get away from that. You got to just look at what they're doing and the ideology and the personality they're trying to build with their franchise. I really like what Halifax has done. I like I like the name. Um, as many people think... Um, or as many people thought, there might be a more maritime theme in their name. But 
from everybody that I talked to, there is a very large indigenous people's population um, and culture out on the east coast of the Maritime. So I think in the end, the Halifax Thunderbirds is a fantastic name. I think it works. I think they'll be very successful um, growing the game there in Halifax, especially since they're bringing in a team that's already going to be a complete team. On the other hand, the New York Riptide, seemingly a name that was one of three options. Riptide was, according to Gary Furman, managing partner uh, of GF Capital, a board member of GS Sports, he said that Riptide was an overwhelming choice by the fans. And maybe it was. Who I, I've never seen numbers. I haven't seen the votes. I believe it was Riptides, Beacon, and Sound were the three options. Now, me, myself, as you all know, I really wanted it to be Saints. Saints wasn't an option. And the only thing that I can think of is that there is some sort of copyright or trademark or legal reason why this group couldn't use the name New York Saints. And maybe I'm completely wrong. And they just didn't want to go back to the Saints name because they didn't want to have correlation with franchises that repeatedly failed in New York. Those are my only two options. Because I just don't see any other logical reason why they wouldn't have gone with the Saints name. There has to be a logical reason. I just don't know what it is but we all have to live with the choice. It's going to be the New York Riptide. I don't mind the colors. It's very um, Captain Highliner, New York Islander-ish. And I know somebody put out um, a tweet that said that they would love to see the New York Riptide get the licensing rights to the Captain Highliner-ish logo that the Islanders used and just turn that guy into a lacrosse player, take the hockey stick out, change the net, make it lacrosse-like. Very much like a lot of people wanted to see the Vancouver Warriors go with a Johnny Canuck idealized logo that the Vancouver Canucks have. Much like the young kids lacrosse team made jerseys of and had to put them away. I think there's a great opportunity for that. It will be very interesting to see um, mascots for the Riptide. Uh, secondary logos, what their jerseys are going to look like. It'll be very interesting. Um, I was a little let down that it wasn't Saints and it was Riptide. Uh, we all remember the L.A. Riptide of the MLL, MLL uh, many years ago. So it's a bit of a recycled name in the lacrosse world, but I think we just have to live with it. We have to live with it. It is the New York Riptide. That's where they're going to be. It's going to be the Halifax Thunderbirds. That's what they're going to be. We know the two new teams. So let's put that all behind us, and let's look at what alignment is going to be. Because now as we sit going into 2020, we have 13 teams. And you can't, I truly believe you cannot go into 2020 with a five-team West and an eight-team East. It just doesn't make sense. So where do we go? How do we make a balanced league? How do we make a balanced schedule? How do we make balanced alignment? 
Well, there's a couple options. You could say, you know what? We're just going to do away with divisions. We're going to have a 13-team league. You're going to play each team home and away. And the, let's call it top eight make it. That's just a random guess, but let's say top eight. That's one way you could go. Go away from all divisions altogether. Make it kind of like soccer, one big table. You play home and away. Top eight make it. You move on from there. And you can, even if you do top eight, you can do your quarterfinals of a one game. You can do your semifinals as a one game. And you can do your finals a best two of three or whatever you want to do. That's one way you can do it. And that's getting a lot of traction from some lacrosse fans out there. The other way is to create three divisions. And I've thought about this long and hard and how you would do it. And the easiest way that I can imagine them doing a three-division league is to keep the West the way it is. Keep the five Western teams as they are. Then you have the eight Eastern teams, and you easily split them up into two four-team divisions. One of them becomes Toronto, Buffalo, Rochester, Philadelphia. And then the third division is Halifax, New England, New York, and Georgia. Five West teams, four Central East teams, and four East Coast teams. That's the simplest way that I can think of them doing three divisions. I've thought about them having a all-Canadian division with Vancouver, Calgary, Toronto, Halifax. But then you have San Diego doing a ton of traveling and Colorado doing a ton of traveling. So if you keep the West the way it is with five teams, split the eight Eastern teams up into four groups, I think you can have better alignment, better travel, and a lot more rivalries can build that way. But then the question comes down to how do you break the schedule down and how do you determine who plays who, how many games do you play within your division, how many games do you play outside of your division. There becomes some of the issues. Now, of course, all of this could change if the commish comes out and says, oh, by the way, for 2020, we're going to add a couple teams out west. And that would be great if they did that. If they put a couple more teams out west, then you can probably still keep your two divisions, east and west, and just play within your division. Maybe play one game outside your division. Or play each team outside your division once. But until that happens, and I don't know if a western expansion is going to happen next year because we're kind of running out of time. So, as we look at alignment as it is now, with 13 teams for the 2020 season, what is your perfect scenario? How do you see this league going forward shaping up? Drop me a line, teddy.jenner at gmail.com. Break it down for me. Are you doing one big division? Are you doing three? I don't think you're doing four. That's a little crazy. So... One, two, or three. How do you break it down in the National Cross League for 2020?
we take a peek around the NLL. So many stories to tell. Let's hope our guest gives us more than stats. It's time for a chat with Smoke Game Pack. Everybody's favorite jingle, you're singing along, I know you know the words, Pat Gregoire joins us here on the podcast. Patty, how are you, brother? Doing great, buddy, doing great. Uh, how's the weather out there these days? It's not that bad, but I, I mean, I think that's just now my standards, like if it's not <laughs> uh, a blizzard or there's ice everywhere, then hey, it, it, it's not too bad. Um, what's worse, uh, <laughs> the weather or your streak at Tim Hortons roll up the rim to win? <laughs> oh, buddy. Don't even bring that up right now. I, I can't buy one. I, it's it's a major slump, uh, a major setback for a, a major comeback. Let's call it that. I, I feel uh, one. It's the big one. The big one's going to come to me. We'll see. What are you, like 0, and 0 for 11 or something like that? Uh, 0 for 11. So it, it was so bad I decided, you know, I went went McDonald's coffee this morning. So, Ew. hey, you got to switch things up. You got to switch things up, man. If you say so, buddy. If you say so. <laughs> why I don't drink coffee. I don't put myself in losing situations. Yeah, that's that's the right idea. Um, a good weekend in the National Cross League. Uh, a whole slew of games Friday through Sunday. We saw a little bit of everything. Uh, obviously, I think the big story coming out of the weekend, nobody seems to be able to understand how to beat the Toronto Rock. They come away with another big win, a one-goal victory over San Diego. Uh, this is a team that has won six in a row. They're seven and one atop the East, atop the National Cross League. I don't think at the start of the year we expected them to be as good as they are and where they are. Mm-hmm. But this team just continues to impress. They're going to get a week off before they play in New England. Who is going to be the team that stops the Rock? That's a, that's a tough question. I, I I think that, you know, I don't know if there's a team that's capable of shutting down the Rock's offense right now. When you look throughout the league, there's not really a defense that sticks out to me and that you can really pinpoint and say, you know what, that's the team. They're going to have the, the game plan to go in to slow this defense or slow this offense down. But with that being said, then, I think you got to switch your attention to another team that can, you know, run and gun with them. And, and I think that's where you maybe land with the Buffalo Bandits. Uh, there's no doubt that they have the offensive power to do so as well. And they probably have, or they definitely have more scoring depth than the Rock have. I mean, you look at Sean Evans and Dane Smith, they're absolutely lighting it up this year. And then you look down, Corey Small, Thomas Hogarth, Jordan Durston, Chase Fraser, Chris Cloutier, uh, once he gets into the mix there. The, it's insane to see how many scores uh, on both the left and the right side of the floor they can come at you. And that's including Josh Byrne, not even in the lineup, who looks like he's probably going to be out for a long time. But it, it certainly doesn't look like it's affected them too much. Uh, and then you include transition as well. Uh, Steve Priola having an unbelievable season, you know, chipping in with 19 points, scoring gross BTB goals. Uh, Ian McKay, another guy that can score in transition. Uh, Ethan O'Connor looks like he's uh, coming into his own with his Bandits team, scoring big goals for them as well. Uh, So scoring definitely not going to be the issue for the Buffalo Bandits. It's defensively, can they scheme to slow down that three-headed monster that the Rock do have? And I don't know if they can. But the big X factor for me is Matt Vince. And I know Vino can shut them down or at least hold down the fort and, and, you know, come up with those big saves. We've seen him 
be able to steal games, uh, stand on on uh, on his head, and, and really will his team to victory. So I think if you pair uh, the the fact that Matt Vince uh, is you know playing at a Matt Vince level right now, and, and pair that with an unbelievable offense, I think that's a recipe that will be able to uh, you know take down the Rock, who looked super hot right now. They won't play the band until March 23rd. Uh, my math isn't very good. Uh, 15 through 24, that's only uh, nine days apart. So um, the Rock will play New England on a Sunday in Mohegan Sun. So that'll be a, a little fun day Sunday for us. Big Sunday, guys. Right, Patty? Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Big, the best, big the Sunday, best thing. <laughs> big Sunday, guys. Um, you, you mentioned uh, Matt Vince. I don't think we can leave the Toronto Rock without talking about Nick Rose. And we had this conversation a few weeks back when the Rock were starting this six-game winning streak. Is is Nick Rose in contention for MVP? I think that, I mean, when you, you look at the actual definition of most valuable player, I think he you have to at least put him in the conversation. I, I think right now you look at maybe Callum Crawford as that number one spot. Um, you know, he's at the top of the scoring lead right now. Uh, he, he's really done a, a fantastic job carrying the load offensively for the New England Black Wolves. But besides that, I mean, you can sprinkle in maybe Sean Evans, uh, Lyle Thompson in, in the equation. But, but Nick Rose, I think when you look at all these victories for the Toronto Rock, uh, they've won different ways. Their defense has been solid some of those games. The offense has been unbelievable, you know, with their uh, triple-headed monster with Hellier, Schreiber, and Jones. Uh, the last victory against San Diego really was more the scoring depth that won them the game. But if you look at all those victories, the one common denominator is Nick Rose playing very, mm-hmm. very solid and coming up with big save after big save. And you can look at his numbers, and his numbers are solid, they don't really jump at you and say MVP, but it's the way he's doing it. His best game and, or sorry, best part of his game right now this season is his fourth quarter play. He's been unbelievable in the fourth quarter, in the dying seconds, in the dying possession, whatever it is, when they need him to come up with a big save, he's doing it. And, and I think if you take all that in Ken, and don't get me wrong, his numbers are great. But I think you have to look past the numbers uh, to consider Nick Rose to be an MVP. And I, I, you, you, you raise a great point. I think he's got to be in that conversation. Uh, let's switch gears a little bit. Stay on the defensive end of the ball. Uh, David Brock uh, has really taken his game to a new level with New England since going over there uh, from the Buffalo Bandits. And he's always been a steady defender, a stay-at-home guy, uh, loves to run the ball in transition. But now that he's in New England, he's playing under the professor, Glenn Clark, He's really found a new style of defensive play, and you think that he could be in line for Defender of the Year? Yeah, you know what? Uh, I it'll be coming out uh, later this week, but for the uh, Isle Indoor Midseason Awards, I have him in my top three for for Defender of the Year. I have Steve Perillo as my number one, and I think right now he's head and shoulders better than anyone in the National Lacrosse League for that uh, Defensive Player of the Year. Uh, but Brock should be right up there with, with uh, Priolo and some of the other guys. Uh, he's contributing, like you said, on both sides of the ball. And I think outside of Callum Crawford, you can basically make an argument that he's been the most consistent and most valuable team uh, player for that Black Wolves team. He's fourth in defender scoring with 10. 
He's got 50 GBs, and he's tied in first with a few other players uh, in cause turnovers with 17. And, and if you look past the numbers as well, like you said, he's playing a different style. Uh, of course, obviously, he still has his hard-nosed, gritty athletic play in his own end, uh, but he is moving the ball up the floor uh, he's staying on the floor with offensive possessions as well. He He's making beautiful feeds. Uh, the one assist he had yesterday was a, a skip uh, to the crease. I forget who it was to, uh, but it was a gorgeous, gorgeous assist. Uh, and he's also become a, a vocal and uh, leader by example for this young Black Wolves team. You look at that roster, especially on the back end, a lot of young guys, a lot of youth. Uh, and I know for a fact that Clem Durazio and like you said, Glenn Clark have looked to him to be a leader. Uh, and I know that they expected big things from here, uh, but I don't know if they expected the Brockett ship to be this good this year. The Brockett ship. What oh, a yeah. great name. <laughs> <laughs> um, you mentioned Steve Priolo in, in your conversation for Defender of the Year. The guy's got two game-winning goals, which is very rare for Defender. And I don't think – I think he may have more behind-the-back goals than anybody this year. He just seems to – get down that side of the floor and just whip it behind his back. And goalies are having a real tough time solving uh, Steve Priolo's behind the back. Um, before we get going, uh, obviously this past week was big news for the National Lacrosse League. Halifax, New York, announcing their team name. Uh, the Thunderbird announcement kind of came at a bit of a delay because people started to find out on Friday night that that was probably going to be the name. And then Saturday night, ahead of Sunday's announcement, we kind of started to hear rumblings that the Riptide was going to be the name in New York. What do you think of the two names, and who do you think has the early advantage between the two new clubs? Uh, you know what? Uh, obviously, I you I was in the you know the Saints camp as you. I really really wanted to see the Saints come back for New York. Uh, I had a feeling it was going to happen, and then you hear the rumblings of Riptide. And uh, you know what? I mean, it, it makes sense. I'm not huge on the logo. I do like the color scheme. I like how it does kind of tie into the Islanders. Uh, more of a twist on the you know 2000s and and 90s Islanders jerseys that we've seen. Uh, but I would have loved to seen the Saints tie in that color scheme. Uh, you could still have gorgeous jerseys. You you still have a new brand and a new look, uh, but then you also tie in some of the nostalgia uh, of the Saints, and I think that would have been really cool. Uh, as for Halifax, I, you know, the Thunderbirds, I like it. Of course, I probably would have preferred maybe a, a team name that had a little more tie to Halifax and the Maritimes. But with that being said, Kurt Styers, obviously, you know, he's going to want something, you know, tied with Six Nations and, and uh, uh, the Iroquois uh, Nation as well. And absolutely it should. It's a, it's a huge part of this game. Uh, and at the end of the day, the, the meaning behind the team name and the color scheme is more than just the game. And I think that's more important. I know some people were kind of complaining, you know, the name's too similar to the Nighthawks, the color scheme's too close to the Bandits, but it really isn't. I think that's just people nitpicking, and you're always going to have people nitpicking when it comes to names and logos and and branding. Uh, but overall, I, I think that the the – if you said who has an advantage coming off the hop, I think you got to go with Halifax. Is you know they're basically moving an entire team. 
Um, you know, they, they have already had players' faces. These fans can see, they can follow Rochester during their season. They know the, some of these players are going to be coming over. They can see Cody Jameson's face. They can see Austin Shanks, Withers, these guys that have come down to Halifax already. And I, I think that uh, is going to be an advantage. But with that being said, uh, I, I think uh, this is an exciting time to have a New York team. I know it's not downtown, but Long Island, uh, that building is, is an incredible place to watch a sporting event. Uh, it's got rich lacrosse history, and, and it's huge for the league to be back in New York. Uh, where do you think they go next? Oof, that's a good that's a good question. I don't know. Me personally, I wouldn't mind to see, and I don't know what, what your takes on this, but I wouldn't mind maybe seeing the league kind of cool the Jets for, mm-hmm. for a couple of years of expansion. But with that being said, with the imbalance between the East and the West, I think you're, you kind of play your hand and you have to add a couple of West teams in there. And I think San Francisco and Edmonton would probably be the two no-brainers there, especially if you can get the Oilers uh, on board with Edmonton. And with how hot the Warriors are right now uh, in the Bay Area and that new arena coming as well, the Chase Center, I believe it's called, uh, I think you, you would be crazy not to strike while the iron's hot. So I, me personally, like I said, I think I'd rather kind of hold off. But if you can kind of even out the the geography of the league, I know there's been talks of, you know, three divisions coming. But still, with that being said, there needs to be more expansion out west. And I think those two teams would be a no-brainer. And, yes, I'm sorry, Tyson, Nash Vegas, Nashville will have to wait. But no doubt, I'm totally on board with a team going to Nashville. Uh, that would be an absolute electric factory. I think a, a, a expansion freeze would be as good as a Toronto freeze as well. Stay warm, my dude. I <laughs> uh, appreciate the chat. Uh, three games this weekend. We'll wrap it up and talk about it next week. Can't wait, buddy. Thanks for having me. Somebody find Pat Gregoire a winning roll-up-the-rim-to-win cup. You can put him out of his misery and get him a free coffee because – at this rate, he's probably going to be broke pretty soon, that guy. Uh, 0 for 11 is not a good streak. However, he is undefeated in appearances here on the Off the Crossbar podcast. So thanks to Pat Gregoire. You can find him on Twitter at P Greggy. Uh, you can also read a bunch of his stuff over on Inside Lacrosse. Uh, as he mentioned, they will be dropping their mid-season awards. And he thinks that David Brock is in serious contention along with C. Priolo, and I can't really argue with that. Those two guys have been playing out of their minds. I like the way Dan Coates has been playing in Colorado, especially coming off of his ACL knee injury that kept him out of the lineup last year. Uh, I still think Audie Stotts is going to be your rookie of the year. MVP is an incredibly tight race. I still think Nick Rose is going to be a front runner for that just the way he's been playing for the Toronto Rock. They are 7-1. and one. I just don't see how you can't see Nick Rose as an MVP. The Offensive Player of the Year, you could really throw a dart at a dartboard and any of the top five guys, six guys in the National Lacrosse League in scoring are going to be up for awards. Uh, Sean Evans, Lyle Thompson, Randy Stotts, Callum Crawford, Dane Doby, even throwing Dane Smith in that group. And you got an opportunity to find a worthy candidate for Offensive Player of the Year. I like what Callum Crawford's been doing. But I think just with all the hype that everybody has surrounding Lyle Thompson, I think what Randy Stotts is doing is that much more incredible. 
We all remember he was rookie of the year that when they came into the league. Then Lyle has kind of taken his game to another level. But Randy Stotts has steadily been finding his game. And he's at a level he's we've never seen him at right now. And he was probably the best player on the Swarm roster in Colorado last weekend. He continued to get to the net. He continued to cause havoc, especially when the Mammoth were solely focused, or really focused, not solely focused. They were incredibly focused on shutting down Lyle Thompson. Randy Stotts has continued to find ways to score. He is third in the league in assists. He's tied for third in the league, sorry, tied for second in the league in scoring. So if I had to pick a most offensive player, not offensive, offensive, I'd like Randy Stotts. Uh, I would give him my vote. Uh, Coach of the year, uh, I don't think you can really put anything past Matt Sawyer, um, but if San Diego can kind of find their rhythm again, Pat Merrill's got to be in, in contention. But right now, the way Matt Sawyer has his group playing at 7-1, uh, I think that's an easy choice. Uh, what else we got? we got? Transition player of the year. That is always going to be a tough one because of where you're going to put a defender. Is he a true D guy or is he, is he a transition player? And you look through the defensive stats. Like Steve Priolo, yes, he's one of the best defensemen in the game. But he's got 19 points, including nine goals, including however many behind the backs, including a power play goal and two game winners. Like, that is a guy who's a transition player, yet listed as a D guy. Maybe he doesn't get into contention. So it'll be very, I don't want to give a transition player of the year just because I don't know which guys are going to be considered transition players of the year again challen rogers another guy playing incredible defense on the back end but runs the floor and scores goals all those defensive players that are at the top of the scoring leaders for the d guys can be considered transition players because you don't get points if you don't transition the ball simple facts and we are all about facts here on the off the crossbar podcast the other fact that i got for you right now is we're done. That's going to wrap it up. We got a busy schedule in the past. Only three games on the schedule this weekend. A very, very light National Lacrosse League schedule. Two games on Friday. Buffalo at Rochester. Colorado at Saskatchewan. And then on Sunday, Toronto is at New England. Of course, all those games can be seen on BR Live. Get the app. Download it to your computer or to your phone. Stream it to your television or wherever you can and enjoy the games this weekend. Got to give a thanks to Jake Elliott and Evan Schemenauer for having the quote-unquote best player to ever be on back-to-back 1-15 in teams on their podcast this week. So head over to LAX All-Stars and you can find the Lacrosse Classified podcast. Nick Rose and myself are the guests of Jumbo and Evan. And of course, stay tuned next week. We'll be back with another edition of the Off the Crossbar podcast. Pat Gregoire will join us and a couple of other talented, entertaining, engaging, and thought-provoking guests here on the show. My name is Teddy Jenner. Find me on Twitter at Off the Crossbar, E on the end of cross, or you can email me teddy.jenner at gmail.com. That'll wrap for another show. Enjoy the games. Drop me a line. And until we talk next week, be excellent to each other. 